So if you want one, I think we have some extras. Uh, hey, what a joy to be here. I, I uh, was listening this morning and uh, talking about a great cloud of witnesses and uh, brought all kinds of memories to me and I'm sure to my wife. Um, so it was, it was just a joy to be able to hear that. Um, turn with me to the book of Revelation, last book in your Bible, the second last chapter. Uh, some of you are familiar with the name Paul Harvey. Uh, if you are, you're a wrinkly-faced person like me. Uh, you tight-skinned people might not know who he was, but he had a program called The Rest of the Story. And the rest of the story started with something he said that really was the conclusion of his whole point. But he started with that and reported it. Then there was a commercial. And then he went back and told the beginning part all that led all the way to the end. And then he would say at the end, now you know the rest of the story. Well, actually, I want you to put your finger on Revelation chapter 21 and then go back to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 6. But first we're going to read from Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Now skip over to Revelation 21 and verse 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are in its temple. The city had no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its life, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor to it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall be no means to enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is near the end of the story, right here. But I'd like you to look at Genesis chapter 2, because in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 6, and really between Genesis chapter 2 and verse 6 and where we just read, if you look up here, there's a whole lot of pages here. Between Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 21 is the rest of the story. This is the rest of the story. In chapter 2 and verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband 
with her and he ate. That's it, folks. That's the problem. That's a huge problem. And lest we blame Adam and Eve, we, I mean, we could do that if, if we want. Uh, but you or I would probably do the same thing. Maybe not in the same time. I don't know how long it took them. But once God said, don't do this, they probably looked and checked it out. And then when they had a temptation, down it went. And so you come to the end in Revelation 21, and that's what was accomplished between Adam and Eve's sin, or I should say Eve and Adam's sin. Either way, it was Adam's fault, uh, probably more than Eve's. Uh, but all this, what, what is all this? This is the story of redemption. This is where man messed it up, and God, fully knowing all this before eternity passed, fixed it. But how did he fix it? Well, he fixed it by sending his son. But way at the beginning, they didn't even know who he would be. You have to wait till uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, a few more verses, to find out that he's going to be the seed of the woman. He realized that. So you follow it all the way through. So there's a seed that's going to follow all the way through. First, they're just people. Just people. And then when we all messed it up, God selected one person. We call him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there's a people, a special people called up by God. They're no better than anybody else, but they are special because he chose them. And as a result of that choosing, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had 12 sons, they become the 12 sons of Israel because he had his name changed. And then you follow that seed all the way through. He's from the fourth son, Judah. And he's Judah's greatest son, comes through David, the kingly line, and we follow him through. And this book really is a book about God fixing what man keeps messing up all the way through. By the time you get to Revelation chapter 21, Israel's had its 70 weeks. They're all finished. There was tribulation in the 70th week, terrible tribulation. And as we sang some of those songs this morning, we were actually singing some prophetic truth. One of them was he's coming, Revelation chapter 19. He's coming, and he's not coming here to Brantford. Although my wife has had a great... We got here on Friday just so she could reroute her past. Uh, And it was a fun one. We ate our way through history. (laughs) And it was great. i got to tell you, it was great. But he's not coming to Brantford. He's not coming to Connecticut. He's not coming to New York. He's not coming to the United States. He's coming to Israel. And I've talked about that through the years. Um... Now, you come to Revelation chapter 21, after a thousand-year rule where Jesus Christ is on the earth, physically and bodily. And for a short time at the end of that thousand years, Satan is let loose and then judged. And now, the story ends. And we're found in heaven. Now, if you're here and you believe the text, you're going to be accused of fairy tales. This is nonsense to people. The idea of heaven, in fact, the idea of the Scriptures, believing it exactly as written, 
It's nonsense. I want to read you a story. And I love this story. I wish I could take credit for it, but I can't. Uh, actually, I was Googling, uh, and I found out, I don't know if anybody has ever heard of DuckDuckGo. Have you, you ever heard of DuckDuckGo? Yeah. So you could stop Googling, and then they'll stop giving you commercials. And you could go to DuckDuckGo, and whatever you search for, only you know. It's high security. Don't ask me how they do it, but either way, if you would Google or DuckDuckGo this story, well, anyway, it, it's an amazing story. And here's, here's the theme. The story is that there are two babies, twins. I could relate to that. Alice and I, our last two are twins. And these twins are talking. So you know it's a story. They're talking to each other. And here's the, here's the thesis. Do you believe in life after delivery? Okay? That's the question. These two babies are talking inside the womb, and the question is, do you believe in life after delivery? Let me read this to you. Uh, so the, that's the question posed. And there has, one says there has to be something after delivery. Maybe we're here to prepare ourselves for what we will be later. Nonsense, said the first. There's no life after delivery. What kind of life would that be? The second said, I don't know, but there'll be more light than ever. Maybe we'll walk with our legs and eat, eat from our mouths. Maybe we'll have other senses that we can't understand now. The first replied, that's absurd. Walking's impossible. Eating with our mouths? Ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies nutrition and everything we need. But the umbilical cord is so short, life after delivery is to be logically excluded. The second insisted, well, I think there's something. Maybe it would be different than what it is here. Maybe we won't need this physical cord anymore. The first replied, nonsense. And moreover, if there is life, then why has no one ever come back from there? Delivery is the end of life. And in the after delivery, there's nothing but darkness and silence and oblivion. It takes us nowhere. Well, I don't know, said the second. But certainly we'll meet our mother. She will take care of us. The first replied, Mother? You actually believe in mother? That's laughable. If mother exists, then where is she now? The second said, She's all around us. We're surrounded by her. We are of her. It is in her that we live. Without her, this world would not and could not exist. The first said, well, I don't see her, so it's only logical that she doesn't exist. To which the second replied, sometimes when you're in silence and you focus and you really listen, you can perceive her presence and you can hear her loving voice calling. Isn't that amazing? Is there life after delivery? Well, not according to one of the twins. This is it. And I am telling you today that when we just read Revelation chapter 21, a hope. This is the future hope of every single believer. A real literal place that we can't see. We can't see it. We can't feel it. We can only hope in the biblical sense, 
of the reality that it will be. And that it is, if you were here for the first service, of those witnesses who've gone before us. Isn't that wonderful? Well, life after birth, of course there is. And looking down, it's, it's just an amazing thing to see all the kids here. And uh, when we were talking at first service and all the witnesses that went before us, they, I'm sure, would joy to be able to see what we're seeing. Heaven is, a, is an interesting topic uh, because as fairy tale ish as it is in the secular world, it is a theme sung by many people. You might know some songs. Before I became a Christian, I was 22 when I uh, received Christ as my Savior. But there's a song that came out right about then, and probably none of you have ever heard it, but I confess it was before my Christian era, that Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. Oh, oh, I hear that laughter. I see, I see some snickers. Some of you know that song, right? Popular song. Blue Heaven. That goes back to my time. Uh, Fats Domino and Frank Sinatra sang Blue Heaven. Emily Dickinson, those of you who are poets, you might know her poem, Going to Heaven. She wrote that uh, song. So, knocking on heaven's door, heaven on my mind, too much heaven. Those are just some of the songs that are sung by people and listened to by people who don't even believe that it's there. What about gospel songs? Uh, We sang, actually, a couple of gospel songs in the first service about heaven. When we all get to heaven. Do you know that was written in 1898? Andre Crouch, a name, again, I'm dating myself, but Andre Crouch, soon and very soon. Uh, Those of you might remember that. When the roll is called up yonder, anybody fill in the blank? I'll be there. That's right, 1893. Johnny Cash sang, sang, meet me in heaven. And John Peterson wrote, heaven came down. We sing, we sing these songs as Christians and look forward to heaven. I was thinking about this. I want you to think about it. When we get to heaven, what won't we say? What won't we say? I'll tell you a few things that I thought of. We won't say, have a nice day. (laughs) Now think about that. No one is going to say, have a nice day. Why? Every day is going to be great. Heaven is an entirely different physical place. It's an entirely different mental state. You ever say to somebody, hey, are you okay? You're not going to say that in heaven. Are you okay? Or hope you feel better. You're not going to say that. Don't worry. Oh, oh, man. My people wrote the book about worrying. Are you kidding? Don't worry. In heaven, you will never hear that said. How about this one? I, I've been working with Canada. And by the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't say thank you for the support you've given to us through the years. And many of you know, we, in fact, we send uh, uh, the Canadian communique here at the chapel as we do to any of the folks who support us in the States. 
uh, I was given responsibilities uh, to oversee the work in Canada, and, and by God's grace, both it's, it's doing great. I have an opportunity to travel there. We have staff there and all that. And the number one line, and tomorrow somebody said it's Canada Day, right? I, I See, I should have known that, but I didn't know that. And uh, the number one saying for Canadians is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Canadians say I'm sorry all the time. I first noticed that when I was up there. And I talked to Canadians. I said, this is, the first thing, this is the first thing out of your mouth. You're sorry. They're sorry for everything. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. For instance, on a bus in America, if it's out of commission, it simply says out of service. Have you ever seen a bus out of service? Go to Canada. It says, I'm sorry. It says, sorry, sorry. Not out of service, just sorry. I've got a picture of it. In heaven, no one's going to say, I'm sorry. Not going to happen. How about this one? I don't know if you might hear it now. I confess I was wrong. Think about that. You're not going to say that in heaven. Or, I'm depressed. I feel bummed. Uh, That's probably dating myself, too. And lastly, the one I could think of, I need a raise. Anybody ever say that? I need a raise. In heaven, you're not going to say, I need a raise. Heaven is a totally, completely different place, different mentality than what we can ever relate to on this side. And it's all because what happened way back in Genesis chapter 2. You see, without, without the fall, we wouldn't have had the middle part. It would have just kept going. But God had a fix. He didn't have to do it. But he was willing to fix what man messed up. You know, in the Old Testament, I like to call it the older Testament. Some of you know that. I don't like, as I get older, for sure I don't like to hear Old Testament. Because old is not necessarily a positive cultural thing in our country. In fact, Bernie Sanders uh, said, and by the way, one of our people, I, I claim him, uh, Bernie, Bernie Sanders was very upset at the, at, the, um, at, at the debate, and he called it ageism, that they were picking on those who are in their 70s and ageism. Well, the Older Testament is much better term from my perspective because it's, it's simply a comparison to the New Testament. The New Testament is not better than the Older Testament. In fact, without the Older Testament, there wouldn't be a New Testament. And so you put them together, it's a comparison. So and we have heaven mentioned several times in the Older Testament text. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 8, multiple times, people are saying, here, H-E-A-R, in heaven. God, Hear me. We do that, by the way. We do that in the first service. We do that privately. Hear, O oh God. We're, we're petitioning the God of the universe in heaven. Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You might hear that at some funerals. It's the hope. It was the hope of the Older Testament saying. It is the hope of the New Testament saint. In Isaiah chapter 26, 
Your dead shall live. With my dead body they shall arise. The hope amongst Jewish people, biblically, is a resurrection. It's a resurrection to be with God. And so we have that as well. And then you have this line, and I I want you to think about it. Because I think about it a lot. Because here's here's what Solomon says. Better the day of death. Now that already gets my attention. Better the day of death than the day of one's birth. Wow. Think about that. Better the day of death than the day of one's birth. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now look, I'm not looking for a way off planet earth. I'm not looking to my death. But I understand what the author is saying. I understand what Solomon's saying. However... Your circumstances are right now, and I hope they're blessed. I mean, it's just a blessing to be here. But we, we cling to life. It's almost part of our DNA. But for the believer, whatever we might have here, whatever blessings we might have, pale in comparison to what's the future, our future hope. But nonetheless, it seems like this is the best God can do. And it isn't. Not, not at all. In the New Testament, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many mansions, and I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Can you believe that? I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's what Jesus is doing. Paul also writes in Philippians, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven. Think about this. You and I, if we're in Christ, are ambassadors. And if we're ambassadors, that means we are at a foreign place representing our home. The best analogy in in my experience was about 23 years ago. Uh, Actually, I think it will be 23 years in July that I moved my family from Chicago to Philadelphia. Uh, I remember one of my children saying, God might be directing you to Philadelphia, but he's not directing me. It's true. It was, it was a tough move. Um, it was tough for most of us. I don't know if we could, I could say all of us at the time. There were some pretty glad about it. But um, it's hard. I found out just how deep the roots I had We had a chapel like this uh, with great friends and wonderful times, a great neighborhood. There were all these positive things. And when I was asked to go and serve in the home office, you have to pull those roots out. It's painful. It's painful. And so the idea of our citizenship being in heaven, that means we're here temporarily. You know, we we heard that uh, story, I am in, uh, for those in the first service, and I was moved by the total focus on our temporary purpose here, to make Christ known, to live for Him, 
whatever those circumstances are, including possible death. You know, for those of us who are wrinkly skinned, I think we can testify that that the aroma of America, the atmosphere of America seems to be moving in a place that we're becoming ever increasingly uncomfortable, more dangerous, a little less secure. Um, it shouldn't shock any believer. And it reminds us of where is our roots? Where is our home? Paul said, as I quoted before, for me to live is Christ. The beauty of that first service for me, and we, it was heard multiple times, was the total focus during that hour of Christ. He is the focus. The cloud of witnesses that we started off testify, not to themselves, not to this building. This building isn't a shrine. This building serves as a meeting place for the person we focus on. The the person who made it possible for our citizenship to be in heaven. The person who is preparing a place for us. You know, in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, a door is opened to heaven and John gets to see heaven. He gets to look at it. We're reminded, sometimes we say we're looking, we want to read from the book of Revelation, Revelations. It's, not, it's, it's actually Jesus' revelation. He is revealing to us the end of the story. And what a remarkable story it is. We need to focus, I think, on a place that is literal, physical, that will be experienced in the future by each believer. Warren Wiersbe, who just went home to be with the Lord, I think he was 95, said this, Human history begins in a garden and ends in a city that is like a garden paradise. It's true. Let me tell you what heaven is not. I already told you what we won't say in heaven. Let me tell you what it's not. When we look at Revelation 20, which is the millennial kingdom, that's that's promised uh, and has been a, a place, literally, that Jewish people have been looking forward to since the, since the beginning of prophecy, since the beginning of the Bible. You could go to the Mount of Olives and see graves of Jewish people who want to be married at the, buried at the Mount of Olives because they know that that's the place Messiah is coming, according to Zechariah the prophet. His feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives. And so uh, the millennial kingdom is that thousand-year rule where, where the promises that God gave individu- individually, certainly, but corporately to Israel. But heaven is different than the millennial kingdom, entirely different. The millennial kingdom lasts a thousand years. That's a long time. But it's not eternity. Heaven is forever. Forever. In the millennial kingdom, there's still issues to deal with. If you were there in the first service, I commented on Helen's song, All Will Be Well. Well, it's not always all's well. Even in the millennial kingdom, there's going to be issues. Anybody have issues here? Personal issues? I got, oh, there, there I see that hand. I, me too. 
issues. There's still going to be issues in the millennial kingdom. And there won't be Satan to blame for those issues, believe it or not. He's going to be bound for a thousand years. But then he's going to be let loose and then finally dealt with permanently. But in heaven, Satan is already judged and in the eternal lake of fire. It's already dealt with. In the millennial kingdom, there's a temple. If uh, you were to go to Israel today, you could go to the Temple Treasuries Institute. Uh, It's a location there where very observant Jewish people are preparing to build the Holy Temple. You can go online. If you want to duck, duck, go it, or if you want to Google it, you can find Temple Treasuries Institute and see all the things that these very observant Jewish people who have a hope of the future and believe that where the Golden Dome is, the Dome of the Rock, there will be a temple there. Well, they do have the temple part right. There will be a temple. Uh, The temple that they're talking about is going to be one that's dealt with because it's going to have an abomination in it. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. But there will be a future temple. When Jesus comes back, there is a temple. Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48 A temple, sacrifices will go on. The whole world will want to go to Jerusalem. Ten Gentiles will grab the skirt, the clothing of a Jewish person and want to worship and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem in the Millennial Kingdom. But in heaven, for eternity, there's no temple. There's no need for a temple. There'll be a Jerusalem. There's a Jerusalem now. I'm thankful that the current administration has recognized Jerusalem as the eternal capital of Israel. It's a wonderful thing. I I think America is blessed as a result of doing that. But there's going to be a heavenly Jerusalem, totally different than anything that has ever been seen from the time of David when he established it through now where it's uh, pretty secular to that time when the third temple is built, to that time when it is abomination, to the millennial temple, it's all going to pass away. There won't be a temple in eternity. And heaven is not like earth right now. We have a sun, S-U-N, and like clockwork. Uh, yeah, even, even through the weather we've had, where it's, you wonder if the sun is there, uh, and look, it's, of course, raining. I, they call me the rain man, so it's my fault. Wherever I go, it seems to rain. But the sun, created by God, will be gone for eternity. There won't be any need for the S-U-N because of the S-O-N. Gone. Night. No night. Eternity will always have light. Completely different. No sea. The sea is gone. The earth is three-quarters water, sea. Don't ask me what it's going to look like. I honestly don't know, but I know there's no sea. So eternity, heaven, which is physical, will have no sea at all. How about this? We, we talked about Revelation chapter 3 and verse 6. We know what happened when Eve and then Adam 
partook of the forbidden fruit. Sin came into the world. The curse is pronounced. We are all feeling its effects. And in eternity, it's gone. Gone. No curse. Gone. Death. Death came. Chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 17. Death. We have a cloud of witnesses because there's death. Even early on, after uh, they were kicked out of the garden, had their own children, people were living a long time before the flood. But they died. They all died. There will only be one generation of people who won't see death, and that, of course, is the rapture of the church. Minus the two Older Testament saints who were caught up uh, without tasting death. No death. In heaven, you're not going to say, hey, uh, maybe I'll see you again. You, You can see him again, probably whenever you want, because there's no death. The people who have gone before you, those cloud of witnesses, will be people you can catch up with and talk with and spend time with for all eternity. And and I like this one. I don't know about you, but I learned as I've gotten older and gravity has kicked in, the clock strikes its hour, I get up, and I get up slowly. Oh, man. Did did you ever say, I don't know, if I use the expression all the time, oh, man. I don't know what you do, but oh, man. Uh, This joint hurts, and that hurt. There are places that hurt that I didn't even know I had most of my life until that time. No pain. No pain. And no sorrow. Look, think about that. Again, what the world says about us, this is pie in the sky. Is there life after birth? Is there life after death? It's the great hope of the church. It's the great hope of Jewish doctrine, biblical Jewish doctrine. Daniel says, those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life. Ooh, that's, that's good. I, I like door number one. And some to shame and everlasting contempt. I'm not interested in door number two. But the concept of a place forever... In a good place, in a wonderful place, in a place where there's no curse, no death, no sorrow, nor pain, to one that is awful. That's beyond our comprehension. And both are true. And it's a reality that, quite frankly, makes us, pigeonholes us into a smaller and smaller place in the overall culture. But nonetheless is reality. You look in the Older Testament text and Isaiah says, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. He also said, For is the new heavens and the new earth which I shall make. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a great passage. He talks about God's dwelling place in the third heaven. Third heaven. I remember reading that 
long time ago for the first, what the third heaven. Well, if you look up in the sky, that's the first heaven. Uh, that's where airplanes are and clouds are and uh, okay, we can we can relate to that. Then the second, where's the second heaven? Well, we've had an opportunity to kind of see some of that. We've actually sent people up into that atmosphere. You can't even you can't even breathe unless there's help. You're you're in the middle. Of, you're you're way higher than any bird or any airplane, and you're in space. That's the second heaven. Uh, what was a cosmonaut, a Russian cosmonaut, years ago said, "God's not here. I don't see him." Well, that's because he couldn't get to the third heaven. And that's where Paul was. That's what Paul describes. He said, "I knew a man." Some people think it was Paul. Some people say, "No, it's somebody." Else, I don't know, but he describes a place that is what we call the third heaven. It's God's dwelling place. And it's a place that's actually going to be brought, according to Revelation, it's going to be brought down and hover over the earth. A new earth, a new heaven, a new Jerusalem. Things will be new. Now, what kind of new? Here's where... Um, theologians sit around and talk. And this is where I kind of check out. But I'll give you what they talk about. Is the new heaven brand spanking new where God recreates everything? Or is it fixed? Is it new quality rather than new chronologically? If you follow me. That's what they're debating. And there's reason to believe either. And if, if you study it out, you can find very good Bible teachers who say, no, it's brand new, it's recreated, God destroys everything, it's a new heaven, brand new earth, everything's new. There's other people who say, no, look at the words that, that are used scripturally through the text. You have words like reconcile, redeem, restoration, regeneration, resurrection, renewal. And so they say, well, what God does is fix, renew. It's new, not in chronology, but brand new. Reconstructed what happened in Genesis chapter 2. And so eternity is to be this new heaven and this new earth. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation has subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Whichever version you subscribe to, and I'm not convinced of either one. I'm kind of in the middle right now uh, thinking about it. It really doesn't matter, at least to me, because what happens is God fixes it. God delivers on the promise to anyone who trusts in Him. It's our hope. And so I want to close just with this. I hope you're thinking a little bit about heaven. Maybe you're thinking about those who have gone before you and they're in heaven. And 
When my kids were little, there was a song. We had, hold on, cassette tapes. Now, some of you don't know what those are. But my car had, had a little uh, Datsun, which is a Nissan. And I remember sticking those cassette tapes. Two of my kids, we didn't have the twins, uh, were in the back. And I put this tape in. And maybe you know, maybe you've sung it at VBS. But the song that one I love to sing, I'll, I'm not singing it for your benefit, uh, I, but I will recite the words. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I'm going to see my Savior's face because, anybody know the end? Isn't it? Do I hear an amen? amen. Look, I hope that you think about heaven. And I hope that you meditate on heaven to the point where the things of this earth, as the song says when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. Because, yeah, heaven is a great place. And it's promised to anyone who trusts in Him. And it's my prayer and desire that each one of you can testify. You can stand up, I'm not going to ask you, stand up and testify in your own words what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's what this place is all about. That's what those cloud of witnesses, both scripturally and personally here in this fellowship, is really all about. And I trust that's your story as well. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you that we know the rest of the story. What a great story. A story of redemption, of reconciliation. How you took our mess-ups, our sin. That's what it is. Cold and simple sin. Disobedience. Missing the mark. Failing to follow what you said. Said and paying the penalty for generation after generation. No way for us to repair that awful disobedience. No way. We were doomed and lost and helpless. But by Your grace, the story unfolds with the seed, a nation that that seed will come through, a baby to be born in Bethlehem, A baby like no other baby ever in the past or in the future. The God-man, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came willingly to die and offer Himself up as the payment, the full payment for our sin, guaranteeing anyone who trusts in Him heaven. Lord, none of us deserve this wonderful place. And Lord... Whenever somebody makes fun of us, whenever somebody uh, doubts us, really doubting you, help us to rely on your promises and to stand firm in the Word, our confidence as citizens of heaven, ambassadors for Christ, looking forward to that time whenever it will be. So we want to praise you. We want to thank you. We want to commit our time to you. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen.